Become a monthly $25 contributor or an annual $250 donor, and we'll send you a flash drive of Pastor Whedon's broadcast transcripts. Learn more on the support page at thewordendures.org or by calling 618-223-8385. Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. I wonder if, as Paul stood there and heard their calumny mount up, he also heard the voice of Jesus whispering in his heart, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Acts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. So in our previous study, we heard Paul had been right. Governor Felix did have a rather accurate knowledge about the way, but rather than rule Paul simply innocent, he decided to keep him in prison, ostensibly until Lysias, who had handed the problem over to the governor, showed up in person. Apparently, the governor was in no hurry for this to happen. So, judgment was delayed. Paul was kept under house arrest, but given a level of freedom as far as his visitors went, they were allowed to come in and take care of him. The day arrived, though, when Felix and Drusilla, his Jewish wife, summoned Paul to hear him preach. But all Paul did was lay on them some heavy law, preaching about righteousness and self-control and the inescapable impending judgment. Felix freaks. He sends Paul away, promising him a hearing at a better time. And he does indeed send for Paul from time to time, but not really to hear his preaching only to intimate to the apostle that if he delivered some nice dinero into his hands, well, he'd be able to walk free. But Paul's not the least bit interested in bribing his way to freedom, so no dinero is forthcoming. As a result, since Paul didn't play along with the bribe, Felix just leaves him in prison when he leaves office, a problem for his successor to deal with, but something the Jewish leaders would regard as a bit of a favor to them. A reading from Acts, the 25th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, 
he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he had stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, The Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Acts 25, verses 1 to 7. Let us pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to the saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that, as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to work your way through today's reading? Let's give it our undivided attention. Verse 1. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. I should have mentioned last time that Felix left office under a cloud. He was recalled to Rome for the particularly brutal way he squelched a riot in Caesarea between some Jews and Gentiles. The new governor, Festus, would thus have arrived in Judea about A.D. 59 or 60, inheriting a tense country that probably bore little goodwill toward him as the local representative of Rome. He no doubt spent those first three days in Caesarea just trying to get the lay of the land, perhaps going over any reports that Felix had left for him and trying to learn as much as he could about that troubled province that was now his to manage, a province that always seemed like a powder keg just waiting to erupt. But in a show of his goodwill toward the Jewish authorities, the governor makes his way promptly up to Jerusalem to meet with the authorities and hear their concerns and grievances. Verse 2. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, verse 3, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. With the mess of the riot in Caesarea, I'm sure Festus did not expect their number one item of business to be a prisoner left behind by Felix. But that's top of their list for the new guy. They have a little favor to ask the governor. Could he please arrange to get that pestilential troublemaker Paul delivered back up to Jerusalem where they can examine his case and finally take care of it, relieving the governor of one headache that his successor had left him to cope with? Paul had been in prison for two whole years, but their red-hot hatred of him had not died down in the least. For, as Luke reveals, they had zero intentions of actually looking further into justice in Paul's case. It was just a repeat attempt at assassination of the apostle. Their plot had been foiled previously, 
but they figured with the new and hopefully a naive guy in office, they just might get away with it this time. Now, there is no way to know for certain, but I wonder if in his three days in Caesarea, Festus had come across the letter that Claudius Lysias had written to Felix, and if he had then learned the circumstances in which he had received Paul as a prisoner. Maybe he'd even met with that prisoner. Their favor seems a small ask, doesn't it? If delivering a prisoner back to them for judgment were all it took to get him in their good graces, it seems a small favor to grant, so why not? But we notice that Festus immediately demurs. Verse 4. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. This seems to indicate, as I just intimated, that Festus has already been brought up to speed on Paul and that he would not simply grant their request. He counteroffers instead. He's shortly headed back to the governor's palace where the prisoner is being kept. Thus he offers, verse 5, So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. If there is anything wrong, again, sounds to me exactly like Festus is quite aware of the situation and knows perfectly well that there's nothing at all in the accusations they've leveled against Paul previously. Still, Festus remains civil. He proposes that rather than sending Paul up to Jerusalem to them, they just accompany him when he returns, and he can give the man another hearing in their presence, unspoken but certainly implied, in my backyard, not yours. Robert H. Smith comments on this in his book on Acts. He was no fool and had no intention of running a province by indulging the natives. Verse 6. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. His stay at Jerusalem was thus more than a polite nothing. He stayed there in the capital city of the Jews for more than a week. I wonder if he had a conversation or two during that time with a certain tribune named Claudius Lysias while attending to certain other matters of urgency. But when he finally returns to Caesarea and Paul's accusers return with him, Festus wastes no time whatsoever. He sits on the tribunal, the judgment seat, and orders Paul to be brought in. Verse 7, When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. This is a bit of same old, same old. Paul is silently brought before them, and the charges pile up. Notice again the parallel to our Lord's own passion. See Luke 23, verses 1 to 5. We heard these accusations all before, so Luke doesn't detail them again. I suppose it's possible they added some new ones by then. They were trying to throw everything at him in the hope that something would finally stick. Certainly among their charges, he brings nothing but trouble. He stirs up Jews wherever he goes in the whole world. He's a ringleader of this odious sect of the Nazarenes. He tried to profane the temple. We stopped him. We caught him in one of the very acts of profaning it. We would have judged him ourselves, but your tribune violently took him from our hands, and so on and on and on. And the only problem was they really couldn't offer proof of any of these serious charges. Yes, as Paul no doubt would grant. 
Wherever he went, trouble soon followed, but he did not instigate the trouble. He brought a message of joy and peace and love from God. Yes, he was a recognized leader of these Jews who followed what was called the way, but that's not a crime, at least it wasn't yet. And no, he hadn't been arrested for disputing or stirring the pot there in Jerusalem. And no, he hadn't even attempted to profane the temple. And no, Lysias had not violently taken him from them, but had rather ended up saving Paul's life. So alas, for these Jewish leaders, they had zero proof for any of these charges that they kept hurling against Paul. I wonder if, as Paul stood there and heard their calumny mount up, he also heard the voice of Jesus whispering in his heart, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If Paul heard that word in his heart, I can kind of see a peaceful smile steal across his face. He would have known himself to be in good company indeed. That's where we're going to call our halt for today. Next up, Governor Felix gives Paul the nod to argue his own defense. He just states the truth. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. In other words, he pleads not guilty at this arraignment. Festus, though, wanting to do the Jews a favor, asks Paul if he'd be willing to head up to Jerusalem and be tried on the preferred charges before him there. Paul, I bet with a deep breath, declines the invitation. He says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, which is where I ought to be tried. I've done nothing wrong, and you know it, sir. If I'm a wrongdoer and have committed any crime worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if there's nothing in these trumped-up charges of theirs, you cannot deliver me up to them. I exercise my right as a Roman, then I appeal to Caesar. I imagine that that moment stunned them all. I can see them looking around as Felix consults with his advisors and finally says, well, to Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you will go. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.